All right, it is good to be out, to be out again. Uh, to be so well fed this morning uh, was a blessing. Uh, you know, that's one thing. I wish that people would call me as fat soul. You know, uh, it's uh, it's nice to have uh, a very well nourished soul, and we definitely got that this morning. But uh, if you will turn over to Second Samuel chapter twelve, we'll do a short review of what we went over the last time, and then we'll get into another section of this chapter. But uh, let's ask God to bless us uh, this evening. Lord, we do pray, as Chris has many times, for your help. And Lord, we have nothing without you. And Lord, I pray that I'll definitely not boast about anything uh, that I've done. Please help me in that. But Lord, I want to boast on you and what you've done. And I pray that we'll see that tonight, Lord. What a wonderful God we have. And we just pray that you're exalted in what we say and do. In Christ's name, amen. All right, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 15 through 25, it says, And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came in to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, wherefore shall I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her, and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the because of the Lord. You know, last time just for a review, we read where it said that but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And you remember David or Nathan spoke to David. Uh, about the rich man and the poor man, and he explained the story to him about how the the one man was extremely rich and the other was extremely poor and only had one little lamb, and the rich man stole that lamb. 
and he stole it to feed just a wayfaring man, just a traveler, just uh, just really nobody, just a wanderer coming through. It wasn't like he was trying to feed uh, somebody of prestige or somebody of honor. But we see that, uh, at, and he fed the drifter with this uh, poor man's lamb. And David was very furious, and he wanted the rich man killed for what he had done. And remember, David, uh, Nathan said to David, he said, David, you're the man. You're the man I'm talking about. So Nathan goes on, and he says, David, God's been extremely good to you. He took you as a little shepherd boy. He protected you from the, from the bear and from the lion. He enabled you to kill Goliath. He protected you from Saul. He made you king over Israel and over Judah. He gave you Saul's house, Saul's wives. He would have given you whatever you would have asked for, whatever you needed and asked for. He said, but you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You even killed one of your mighty men, Uriah, and you took his wife. God said, I'll raise up evil against you out of your own house. He said, you took Bathsheba secretly and you did this thing. He says, but I'm going, somebody from your own house is going to take your wives and they're going to do it openly out in the public. You know, David had made it very, very easy for the enemies of God to blaspheme God's name. Especially in David's position. That's what made it even easier. Everybody knew who David was. But he tells David all this, and David says, guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm guilty. Everything you said, I'm guilty of. I admit it all. He said, oh, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan says, David, the Lord has put away your sin. Thou shalt not die. He said, but the baby will surely die. I want to look at the consequences of sin. Uh, and we'll see that God is sovereign also in all of his works. And then we'll see the comfort in God's will. This is a bittersweet thing here because, because of, you know, David looks at it and says, because of my sin, the baby is going to die. But though I deserve to die, I'm not going to. I'm going to live. So it's a bittersweet thing. David's life is spared, but not the, the baby's. You know, and you have to appreciate a man like Nathan, the prophet. You know, what a faithful man Nathan was. Nathan loves God, and he gives a message to David. Nathan also loved David, and that's why he gave David the message. He gave it to him for two reasons. One, because God told him to, and for the others, because he loved David and cared for David. But he wants, he wants to see David restored. You know, that's always our goal. Anytime we some, see somebody go astray, our desire is always that we want them restored. We want them back into good standings with God. You know, as a church, we need to be faithful to God and preach the gospel to every lost soul that we come across. And to any that have fallen away, we need to pray for them and seek for their restoration. You know, Galatians 6.1, you know, says that, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, 
considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We need to realize that can happen to us. Anything that's happened to David can happen to us. So our goal is always for restoration. You know, the church there at Corinth, if you think about it in one sense, they weren't a very loving church. To let everything go on that was going on in that church. You know, sometimes if you practice church discipline, the church gets accused of, of uh, I remember a woman, she was always talking about, we're not under the law anymore, we're under love. And, uh, you know, just if there's any type of discipline, that's love. You know, you let your children just go on and do whatever they want, that's not love. So the church here at Corinth, it really wasn't a loving church for one another. You have open sin go on, and you're like, well, we're open-minded about this. You do nothing about it. You know, the man that was in that sin, there really wasn't a whole lot said to him. The church was rebuked for allowing that to go on. You know, and the good thing is, is when Paul said something to him and the man was dealt with, he repented and came back and was received back. He was restored. And that's what we want. We want, we want that for everyone in the church. If I fall, I want to be restored. I want somebody to come to me and 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 tell me you know and and do whatever's needed that i'll repent and be made right and be restored but you know in them doing that and them at the church here at corinth with them allowing that to go on they were given the occasion to the enemies of the lord to blaspheme god's holy name you know what do you think about a church that that every sin under the sun is going on and stuff goes on that people don't know anything about. But when all kinds of things are going on in a church and everybody knows about it and everybody on the streets knows about it, that's a reproach on God's name. And we need to be careful of that. But the goal is repentance and restoration for the wayward brother or sister. Uh, repenting and restore people. They're going to act like David. And they're going to say, guilty, guilty, guilty. But, you know, the un unrepentant people, they'll try to justify their actions. And they'll actually condemn those who desire to see them restored. And it was actually the situation with John the Baptist. When he went and talked to Herod, said, hey, this isn't right. You know, he didn't turn around and say, yeah, you're right, I repent. No, his wife says, hey, have his head taken off. You know, so, but we still need to be faithful. John the Baptist was faithful in that. Nathan is faithful. He's been obedient to God. He delivered the message to David. And what happens? It says, Nathan now returns to his house. He's done his duty. He's carried it out. He's been obedient to God. And then we, as we start off here, it says that the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. What kind of, what kind of union is that? It's... She's still referred to as Uriah's wife. What a, what a sad thing. What a sad commentary that is. But the sovereign God of the universe is the one that struck the child. The potter. The sovereign God struck the child. You know, I don't know. When I looked at this, I, I, I don't know if the baby was born with an illness or if the baby was a, perhaps a few days old or a few weeks old, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't want to speculate. I got my thoughts on it. 
But at some point in that baby's life, whether it's right at his birth or right shortly after his birth, the Lord struck him with an illness. You know, it says there that the baby was sick. No, it said the baby was very sick. And you know what a hardship that is on a parent to have a sick child? Uh, that's hard, especially if there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's almost 45 years ago that I think about it. We're in bed, sleeping. It's 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And it sounds like a, a, like a mountain lion or something. It's like, man, what is that? Jump up out of bed? Go running in the bedroom? And our daughter's laying there shaking and carrying on? We're new parents. We don't know nothing. We're really dumb. But when you see something like that, we don't know what to do. Scoop the baby up, go run out of the apartment, and knock on a neighbor's door, you know, and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. And then she stops having this convulsion. You know, we took her to the hospital and they uh, diagnosed it as a febrile seizure. But it's a scary thing. I don't know what this baby had, but it was something that was perhaps like that. Perhaps it was convulsions, perhaps it was seizures, but the baby was very sick. As a parent, you feel helpless. And perhaps David felt like that. Perhaps it was violent screams all the time. You know, sometimes you can deal with some things, the colic and things like that, and uh, you can get the baby to go to sleep, whatever. But this didn't seem to be like that. It seemed to be very sick. David could not comfort the baby. There was no there was no helping this poor little child. And it seems like, from what it says here, that it goes on for seven days. So what does David do? David fasts, and he prays. His mind is consumed with his child, with praying for, the, for, the, for this child and for some comfort for this child. David doesn't eat. Perhaps he hardly sleeps. David spends all his time pleading with God. You know, people came to try to comfort David. And David, he, he wouldn't even get up off the earth. You know, finally after seven days, he finds out the baby has died. What's David do? David gets up. He takes a bath. He shaves. He brushes his teeth, combs his hair, puts on clean clothes. What does he do? Goes and worships God. What's David saying in his actions? He said, God, your will be done. You're the sovereign of all the earth. And whatever you do is right. And he is acknowledging that. He's worshiping God. I like what Randy said a week or so ago about, you know, I think about this and, you know, is, is David going to ask God any questions? I know one thing he's not going to do. He's not going to question God like he's on trial. As Randy said, there won't be any of that. I was scared to death one night at work in the lab, and a guy was over, a professing Christian, and we got talking about some topic. He said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, when I get to heaven, he said, I'm gonna, I, I got some questions for God. And I was like, ooh, I want to do the moonwalk and just kind of get on back out of the way, you know. Um, it's just a scary thing. That's not going to happen. Just as Brother Randy said, that will not be. 
But David, no, he's not questioning God on this. He's acknowledging what God has done. He says, God, you're sovereign. You know what's best. David, I believe, quotes Matthew 6. And he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David was submitting to that. But David is worshiping and he's glorifying God and what he says and his and by his actions. But David's been restored and he is at peace with God. Who's comforted now? David's comforted. I tell you, two are comforted. The baby is now comforted. He's with the Lord. And now David is comforted the fact that his sins are forgiven. So at that point, what does David do? He goes home and eats. He carries on. <laughs> I like this here. David's ser uh, servants are perplexed. You know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't get it. You know, the world doesn't get it. They really don't. They don't understand. But David's servants, they come to him and they say, uh, David, this isn't natural. We were expecting you to be mad at God. We expect you to, we thought the condition that you were in, that you might do something to hurt yourself. Once you found out the baby had died, I was on a, a railroad committee, safety um, committee in, in Laplace. They were having a lot of accidents there in reserve, but they had a crossing every, every block. There was a crossing right there by Riverside School. And it, it, back then it was $500,000 to put up the cross arms. And so we suggested closing like every other road from going across the tracks. So all the roads, you know, met and they went around. So it wasn't a big deal. But one of the ladies that was on the committee, her son had been, he didn't get hit by a train. He hit a train uh, when he was on a, a three-wheeler. And I remember she told me that the priest came and was talking to him and said, you know, that's all right. He said, you know, you have... You know, it's it's okay for you to be mad with God. And the guy that was drunk and on the the three wheeler, he made a profound statement. He said, "Why should I be mad at God?" He said, "I was the one driving the, the three wheeler, you know." And I thought that was so wise of him to say that. He wasn't blaming God; he was blaming himself. He said, "I did it myself." But we see here that this is unusual. And like I said, they're expecting David to be mad over it. They didn't want to tell him, and he finds out. You know what they thought he would do? That he would be like Naomi. Remember how Naomi was after her husband died and the two boys died? What'd she do? When she went back to her land, they said, Naomi, good to see you. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Maya. Uh, uh, bitter. You know, I'm bitter over this situation. David wasn't like that. So we see here that, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't understand David's actions. They said, you, you know, you get up, you get cleaned up, and you worship God. And what does David do? He says, ooh, this is an opportunity here. This is a teaching opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to testify about my wonderful God. He, and he does it. He uses that time. David tells them that while the child was alive, 
He needed to plead with God that he might allow the baby to live. David knew the character of God. He knew that God could change his mind. He might. He might. He's not, he's not constrained by anyone. He's sovereign. He's a gracious and a loving God. You know, a lot of people realize that. You know, remember the three Hebrew boys when they were put into the furnace. They said, God can. If he wants to, he can rescue us out of this. But they didn't demand anything. But they knew God could. You know, even Jonah knew how God was. Jonah says, oh, you're going you're gonna to destroy the Ninevites? Uh, after 30 days, I'm supposed to go in there and preach to them. And after that, you're going to destroy them? Jonah's like, I, I don't think so. I know God, and I know that he probably will not do that. These people, if they repent, God's going to, God's going to spare them. So that's, that's how much knowing our God, knowing that much about our God. We need to know him and know how he is. David knew that. So David knew that, hey, God may, may be gracious to me. And if he is, good. And if he's not, he's still God. He's still sovereign in all his works. But David tells him that God is sovereign and that he knows everything and that he always does what is best. David actually has a Job attitude here. He says, you know what? He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was Job's favorite song too, I bet. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. But God allowed, David tells him, he says, God allowed me a short time with my son. And for that, he was gracious to me. He tells him that the eternal destiny of the child is settled. It's done. Nothing to worry about. And he says that when I die, I will gladly see him again. David was not just speaking of the grave. David was speaking of a great hope that he had. He wasn't looking for, uh, uh, you know, just just a grave with anticipation. Not at all. You know, Chris's message last week about the rich man wanting Lazarus to go and warn his brothers not to come to this place. He wasn't just speaking about the grave. He was talking about an eternal hell. And and I believe that David was just a contrast to that in speaking about an eternal heaven. But then we go on. It says, And David comforted comforts Bathsheba who was she who was she his wife what a blessing his sins are forgiven God recognizes that that union in a different in a different way but Bathsheba in the past nine months or so has mourned what the loss of two the loss of her husband and the loss of her child so you have to think that she's she needs to be comforted. You know, and I'm not sure exactly how David did that. Perhaps as the head of the house, he asked her for forgiveness. He said, I pulled you into this. You know, I shouldn't have. I'm the head, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And then he tells her, he says, God has comforted me. 
by letting me know that I'm forgiven. He tells Bathsheba that God has comforted their child and knows that they will see the baby again. He says, and God has forgiven us. And he is right in all that he does. He said, he tells her, he says, Bathsheba, we need to continue to trust God. We need to continue praising God. And we need to continue serving God. He says, now God, like I said, he recognizes the union, his wife. So David confessed his sins. God forgave and covered the sin. Psalm 31, or 32, 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David knew that forgiveness. So God confirms all of this by blessing David and Bathsheba with another son. His name was Solomon. Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Now, Nathan's been away for a period of time now praying for this restoration. Now he comes after the birth of Jedediah. What a blessing that is. If you will, look over Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. As we think about our great comforter. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are all are comforted of God. What a blessing that is to be comforted by God. What a blessing that is to be able to comfort others. You know, as we said early, there's consequences for those sins. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But there's comfort in, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, for those that perhaps are outside of Christ, call on him today. And as Jimmy spoke about keeping ourselves unspotted, this event, the sin that David committed that displeased God, we need to be careful. We need that's part of keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the learnings. Lord, many times warnings. We thank you for your comfort in our lives, Lord. Uh, many times going through various trials and tribulations, and yet you're always there. You're always our great comforter. Lord, I pray that you'll keep us from sin. And Lord, if we sin, when we sin, that we'll confess those quickly. Lord, and that, you'll, that we'll have that desire not to commit sin. But Lord, when we do, I pray that we'll quickly get that thing settled, forgive us, and have it covered. Restore us. Oh, what a blessing it is. What a comfort it is. 
to be in the center of thy will. And I pray that you'll help us in that. In Christ's name, amen.